Hey, Carm Capriato here with episode 432. Now, I had a chance to sit with a service professional, a supplier, and a manufacturer to talk about industry stuff, about working together. Welcome to Shop Talk 11. Now, here's a taste. It destroyed her world. She's looking for a superhero. She's looking for someone who can get that job done and get her back on the road. But the technician only sees the part of it that, uh, you know, I didn't get my first cup of coffee. You, you, you messed up my groove for the day. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm here, and Remarkable Results Radio is proud to partner with Apex. Now, even in this technology-driven world, nothing beats the face-to-face meetings I've had at Apex. Plan now to attend, write this down, November 5th through the 7th at the Sands Expo in Las Vegas. Now, if you earn your living in the aftermarket, Apex is for you. For information, visit aapexshow.com, and the registration is now open. Hey, connect with me on social media and go hang out on the Remarkable Results Radio Facebook page. You'll be updated with the recent releases and a treasure trove of episodes that talk about everything in the aftermarket. Hey, thanks for being a newsletter subscriber and being in the podcast ecosystem with me. And also, most importantly, thanks for being a student in perpetuity. Hey, when running an effective auto repair shop, you know there's a lot of prerequisites. You must deliver a reliable and consistent experience for your customer. Goes without saying. You can't do it if 100% of your supply partners aren't working together with you. Hey, find the talking points for this episode, RemarkableResultsRadio.com slash E432. Now, we recorded this at the AVI Spring Training in 2019. Our Shop Talk panel includes a service professional, a supplier, and a manufacturer. And with me is Monty Hampshire, a shop owner, technician, and automotive teacher. Now, that's a strong resume. Bob Pattengale is here, National Training Manager at Bosch, and there's your manufacturer. And from the supplier side, John Markham, Director of Marketing for Federated Auto Parts. Hey, one thing this panel agrees on is that the industry requires a greater training commitment from all players in the distribution channel. So when there is a breakdown, you can almost trace the problem to training. Getting suppliers and manufacturers and service professionals working together to solve our industry's challenges will go a long way to improve our image profits and for increased customer satisfaction at the service level enjoy i want to give a big welcome to a fabulous panel that we have assembled here at the avi headquarters in fort myers while we're here at the uh, the spring training program Uh, boy uh, you know i've always wanted to do an episode sitting down with a trainer with a parts supplier and a shop owner technician and and i always wanted to talk about working together supplier manufacturer shop owner on how we build a commitment to training we actually did the entire podcast last night and we had a real blast talking about this, so hopefully we can repeat this. Who's with me? Monty Hampshire, Performance Motor Works here in Fort Myers. Yes, local. Glad, glad to have you. Thank you. So shop owner and technician. Yes, and teacher. I and teach automotive at the Votech. There's a wild card for us. I love that fact. That's great. John Markham is here, Director of Marketing for Federated Auto Parts. Hello. Big job, important job. Yes, it is. I know. Great, John. Glad to have you here. Bob Pattengale is here, National Training Manager for Bosch. Yes, Bob, you're bringing training to um, Federated. You're bringing training to you know Monty's 
company, you find that working with a supplier to go out and reach out to their customer base an important part of how Bosch, uh, Bosch's strategy for training? You know, it's an interesting conversation we had last night and something that we didn't tap into was one of the pro- projects that we uh, embark in is working together with the uh, parts WDs as well. So when we look at a piece of technology like gasoline direct ejection or common rail diesel or where the process is, where the parts are, one of the best ways to begin a sales strategy in education is to train the salespeople that are communicating to the shops and the individuals purchasing the parts. So we'll We'll work with a part supplier and train their sales personnel in the technology from a Bosch perspective. And then several months later, follow up with the uh, clinics for technicians. You know, say GDI, the individuals who know, you know, what does that abbreviation mean? Gasoline direct injection. And then we start talking about what, you know, what you need to replace when you replace a GDI pump. And then we take that message to the technician level. And we're hoping that, you know, in the end, when they need a part, they're asking for not only, you know, the the pump, but they're asking for the filter and the other components that are there. So we're training people at multiple levels. You know, it wasn't something I was really thinking about yesterday, but it's something we do on a regular basis. I find that so interesting. Having been in this industry my whole life, I understand that part, but I'm not sure many service professionals realize that some of the great knowledge that our parts professionals have is coming from the manufacturer sitting down and teaching them this new technology. As a shop owner, Monty, do you find that when you pick up the phone, if you if you pick up the phone and call a part supplier, that the knowledge that they have in relating to your needs, is is it up there? Certain places, the, the needs are there, but others lacks it, and that's what we need more training for the parts also. Uh-huh. So when we order that part, they it sells as a kit or something else, and so we get part of it, and then we'd like, well, we got to wait another day to order this piece that we need with it to replace. Okay, I'm looking at you, John. You're the supplier. How often are you uh, working with companies like Bosch to bring the training to your counter people? As often as we can. We we rely on our manufacturer partners to uh, provide that training for us. Um, it's a big asset for us. Just as we encourage our technician partners to be uh, as trained as they possibly can, we also want our service pro- our service professionals our Parts professionals is what we what we call them. We want them to be trained as well so that when they do get that call from our customer, they know what they're talking about. Uh, when they're more efficient, it saves us time. It saves us money. So we rely on the manufacturers heavily to get us trained as well as helping our technicians be trained as well. Okay. So cataloging, um, I don't know. Do you, do you just order parts over the internet? Usually over the internet. Okay. So there's, there's not a lot of interaction with our counter staffs anymore, right? No, we try to do it on the internet, so we're trying to re- relieve some of the stress that we had with the counter staff, not knowing what they were. Oh, okay. So if if you find a gap in knowledge, you just decide, you know what you need to look for. So the catalogs have to be super smart. Yes, that's where we're, and that's some of the issues we're having, because we don't quite know what we need to do the job either, so we're just assuming Think of the names that all these parts have and all the acronyms that we have to deal with. And, you know, Ford and Chrysler and, and, and Volkswagen, they all do the same thing, but they call them different things. Can you imagine the stress on the counter person to have to know all of that? Or is, is cataloging, John, just kind of making that go away? 
to some extent, it, it streamlines the process a little bit, but you still have to have good trained counter people for when they do have those questions. They they, they need to be trained uh, to provide that service. So that's never going to go away. We always have to have good trained counter people on the other end of the phone for our customers. All right. So we just did a live Town Hall Academy here one half hour ago. And Bob, you were on with us and we're talking training and we're talking the gap in knowledge. We're talking about how do we drag more of our technicians over the line? How do we, how do they find their commitment? I just realized the huge gap we have, and that would be at the parts supplier level. I mean, I, I think it, it it is as important as it exists in the base. Absolutely. I believe that that's a true statement. I think we we articulated that last night as we were kicking, you know, concepts around. But it, it comes down to, you know, is the technician or the person ordering the parts? And I think that's a piece that we, we talked about yesterday. Typically, the technician is not the person who orders the part. He writes down in Scribble and hieroglyphics what he would like to have to repair the vehicle. He's then assuming that the person he's written that down, that, you know, technicians generally don't have good penmanship. So it's a struggle. Many shops have tried to teach our technicians how to type things out, and that's been a struggle as well. But in the end, you know, having the right information for the service advisor or the shop owner who's ever ordering parts becomes very important. If the technician doesn't take the time to let them know the things they need to solve the problem, and that, that comes from service information as well, is what are the things that should be replaced with a particular repair or scenario. And then, so you've got that gap. Did the technician communicate directly to his service advisor, shop owner? And then they have to communicate with the parts professional on that side of the fence. So how do we get the right part for the right car at the right time? <laughs> Brings back the point of a lot more training. We need the service advisors trained, parts people trained. Tech, everyone needs more training. And when it happens, it's a miracle. Yep. I did some seminars many years ago for a parts supplier, and it was all about uh, new technology and, and service process integration within the shop. And one of the things I would throw out there to the shop owners is how many of you guys would like to get your parts faster? You know, so then everybody hands go up. And I, I basically led them into a trap and told them that if you diagnose the car correctly the first time and you write down all the things you need, rather than calling up the parts, send me an air filter and a fuel filter. And then the truck starts heading to deliver that. Oh, call them out. Oh, I need an oxygen sensor for the same car. And then they're bringing the oxygen and said, oh, I forgot to order the spark plugs. So the parts suppliers got these trucks going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. If you would have built your list comprehensively and ordered all the parts you needed for that vehicle, you would actually get your parts faster because the truck wouldn't be tied up going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You'd probably get them cheaper, too. All those trucks going back and forth, burn up Cost, gas. money. Cost goes right. up. In the yep. ideal world. <laughs> in the ideal world. Oh, my. Uh, you just opened up a wonderful can of worms. Kind of reminds me, John, go back to the fact that if they're not calling up and then ordering the plugs and then ordering the filter, they're going to e-commerce and they're ordering, send, ordering, send. They're doing the same thing. They're spitting paper, maybe not a phone call, but it's the same thing. And if the supplier is meeting the needs of their top customers and they're really dispatching quick, issue is exactly what you said. I mean, you know, your cost of inventory is outrageous. Your cost of delivery is off the wall. I don't know if the service professional really respects how that whole distribution arm works and the margins that exist in distribution are nowhere near the margins that exist at the service professional. I mean, the higher you go up, the less the margins are. And, and that's why 
you guys have to run, and I'm looking at John when I'm saying this, a very lean organization. You can't have 10 trucks waiting for the whim to deliver a box of bolts to someone. That's correct. As much as we would like to walk out the door as soon as the order comes in, you have to have a little bit of lead time in there for those situations where the customer calls back and I did forget, like need I need the plugs, I need this. It builds in a cost when you're when you're running that many trucks up and down the road. I've always known that dispatching at a parts store, there's an art and a science to it. And you want to keep customers happy, but you also have only so many so many assets to do business with. And sometimes you have to go to another store to get a part. It, it is a fantastic job. I mean, if there's a pressure cooker job as a service writer or advisor in a shop, the dispatcher at an auto parts store is that same center of gravity, if you will. When you do have a good trained counter professional, they'll know to ask those questions. When the customer forgets something, they'll be able to remind, well, did you need the plugs with that? Did you need the, the wires with that? Okay, Monty, you've heard us just talk about all this stuff from your reaction as a uh, service professional. I agree. We definitely need more training because, like John was saying, the service advisor might be the one ordering the parts. The technician just wrote a whole bunch of stuff down. But if the parts person says, oh, do you need this? They can run back out and ask the technician real quick. It would speed up the process. Tell me your opinion about service availability issues from your supplier. Are you happy with that? We always want to have the stuff right then and there. I mean, but for the most part, it's decent. We want to get the car fixed as quick as possible. I think he's being nice. Hey, Carm here. Now, you know I attend Apex in Las Vegas each year. It's my must-attend show for one simple reason. It keeps me up to date on everything in the global automotive aftermarket industry. At Apex, I see, touch, and compare the latest new tools and equipment in the industry. I learn how new technology is affecting independent repair shops... I sit in on advanced training sessions on underhood service and alternative fuel vehicles. And so important, I network with others facing the same opportunities and challenges. I know many of you are shop owners, managers, or technicians. I also know going to Apex means time away from your business. But I simply don't know how you can stay ahead of the huge transformation and changes taking place in the industry without attending Apex. Hey, make Apex your must-attend show. The dates are Tuesday, November 5th through Thursday, November 7th at the Sands Expo in Las Vegas. Registration, it's only $40, and it only takes a few minutes. Go to aapexshow.com. Again, we're at AVI, and there's a a whole training uh, session going on here for the last two days. I think today's today's the last day, and tomorrow I think we party a little bit. So we're talking about you know this interaction between supplier, manufacturer, and and shop owner. Let's let's go a little bit into training, Monty. Um, from a training perspective, where are you getting your training? You know, is it AVI? Is it is it on demand? Is it leader led? Is it supplier? Give us give us your perspective. We're trying to hit everywhere: AVI on demand, supplier. So NAP is throwing one out. This Monday, they're doing a class Monday night. Everywhere we can get the training, but we just are having trouble getting the technicians, everybody involved to go to the training. That's our problem. Oh, now there's the can of worms we just opened. Deja vu? Yeah. I mean, we talked about that for an hour, an hour ago. And so we're having trouble getting the techs. And so can I ask you a really tough question? And will you still love me after I ask it? Definitely. Isn't it your fault? (laughs) partially yes okay (laughs) the commitment of the technician is like the most key so if if you've got someone and says i am in give me the training i want to be so good i want to be better and at the same time uh 
that motivates you and pushes you to find the classes that are necessary. But if you don't see the commitment from your tech, we don't look. Yeah, you, you don't look and you find. And then let me compound it even more and say, do you have a job description that says you need to get 40 hours and you've got to be sure that their training resumes are managed by you. You know what classes they need. You need to go to Bosch and get an assessment and you need to go out and say, I don't necessarily see your commitment. So I'm going to work with you. I'm going to get you these classes. And then I want you to come in and I want you to teach our people. I want you to do an hour, lunch and learn. Tell us the highlights of the class. And maybe, just maybe, Monty, you can change their commitment. And I know I'm thinking big and, oh, my God, love kumbaya here. But don't you think you can change a technician's commitment to his profession by giving him the training he needs? Definitely. After being here for the last two days... Got some ideas to go back, change it up, offer incentives. I think that's going to help out. Do you agree with the, that kind of push? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, it comes from the top down. We always talk about that. But also, I think as a shop owner, encouraging technicians to understand the, the benefit of the professionalism of our society and the love for fixing of cars. And one of the stories I tell when I speak to community college students in high school how many of you would like to be Superman or a superhero tomorrow, whoever your favorite person is? And everybody's, yeah, I want to be a superhero. Well, as a technician, you don't know what, 8 o'clock in the morning, you're unlocking your toolbox, you're getting your first cup of coffee, and here comes a service advisor with a ticket. It's a waiter in the lobby, no start, need to get this car out right away. And I'm having had my first sip of the coffee, what's going on? And you say, okay, fine, get the car in, and it's a it's a battery cable or a battery issue. And you get that job done. But what you as a technician didn't know was it was a mother of three, the husband's out of town on a business trip. She needs to go to the grocery store, get the baby to the doctor, and the kids got to get to school. When that car was not starting at that moment, it destroyed her world. She's looking for a superhero. She's looking for someone who can get that job done and get her back on the road. But the technician only sees the part of it that, uh, you know, I didn't get my first cup of coffee. You, you, you messed up my groove for the day. But he didn't know that, that you changed that woman's life because you got the car going again and her world comes back together. That's the, that's the piece that we don't communicate to the service professionals that are back there, that, that they do change the world. If You always talk about what if every mechanic took a week off? Planes, trains, automobiles, trucks – what would happen if all the mechanics stopped fixing cars for a week? They're grounded. What would happen? Period. Done. Right. We stop. Our, our, our world stops yeah. as we know it. But we just, somehow or another, we, we don't talk about how great this business is and how it's special. It's special to be someone who can fix cars for a living and restore things that are broken. And it's just something that we've got to do a better job of communicating that throughout the industry. Is that, a, is that a technician motivation or is it the owner that needs to motivate his people? If he takes care of his people, they take care of their customers. I think it's both. I think society needs to understand that that it's a, it's a, it's a trade that means something. That without that person, we don't get the groceries delivered. We don't get to the places we need to go. The fire engine doesn't get to the fire if there's not someone who maintains those vehicles. And and I think that's that's the part that sometimes is missing from that service professional thing. I need to keep investing in my skills to be the best of the best because that's what's going to keep me being the superhero. If I don't invest in my skills, 
how do I continue to evolve to be the person who solves those problems? And I like that scenario because at first when I was listening to it, I was thinking, I didn't get my coffee. I'm mad. But then at the end, I was happy because I actually, you know, helped somebody out. So if we look at it that route, definitely a lot better scenario than at the beginning. I've and, heard, and, and that's the screaming kids that were in the waiting room yeah. that you wanted gone, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, get that car out of here so we have some peace and quiet. <laughs> exactly. You know, I've heard the same kind of story, but it was the later in the day story where the car can't be fixed by 3 o'clock as it was promised because there was a – an interesting domino effect, maybe a wrong diagnosis, the wrong part, the part wasn't on the shelf, the delivery, all of that. What you don't know is that the reason it was three is Susie had to go to Girl Scouts. I had to go pick up the prime ribeyes because my husband's boss is coming to dinner tonight. And it was that whole litany of things that happen in our world. How time compressed are we all? It's almost like our lives are orchestrated. If we realize that, that we're, we're providing safe and reliable transportation and our commitment is our word, I think, as you say, the technician, the service writer, everyone brings a completely different and open understanding of what, what their job really is. Definitely. That's, I mean, that sums it up pretty nice. John, again, from the parts side, when you're out talking to the Montes of this world and asking them what they need from you, what's the questioning like? We're trying to develop a per personal relationship with our customers. So uh, usually it's what do we need to do to provide the best service to you? Um, how can we help you become better educated and trained? Um, what can we do to get you the parts faster? Um, uh, quality of the parts, is that important to you? It always is, but what you know? those are the kinds of questions that we're asking. Do you care about the quality of the part? Quality of the parts is the main thing because we don't want to see the car again. I love to talk about value lines. Here I have a 10-year-old car, and I, I dropped it off at your place, and I'm saying, hey, money is tight. I'm not getting the OT that I used to get. Can you help me out? And you're going to do brakes on my car. What would be your options? I would try not to do the value line. I would sell the better. It's going to last longer. They're actually getting more bang for the buck in the long run. Okay, Monty, so tell me why I should uh, I should do the $550 brake job versus the 425 It's going to last longer, be safer. You won't have no noise complaints coming back in about two weeks. Um, uh, see, there's a benefit line. That's for uh, us. Yeah, well, no, no. It's, it, yeah, it is. <laughs> but it but is. I'm selling my car. I'm yeah. so I'm I'm getting ready to get. I don't want to put all that money. I'm selling my car. And a year I'm later, they're still driving. Yes, and then a year later, they drive it still in. <laughs> Why are my brake pads squeaking? Right. Well, yes. you know, remember I told you. <laughs> we had that conversation two weeks ago, so I learned my lesson. I just don't think there's enough benefit stories, and, and it goes back to. Uh, and I'm looking at John, and I'm pointing it to John, our supplier here, John, and, and even Bosch. We need to get into the hands of the service professional why the premium products are necessary. I mean, there's a lot of inherent value built in many of our brands, our, our premier lines. And they don't know how to close the deal because they're saying, well, you know, we heard a great story, but I only heard one benefit line, squeal. And if you've ever, you know, and oh, yeah, that happened to the last time I got a break job. Okay, maybe that's the reason to pay another 150 bucks more. I, I don't know. We're not giving the benefit of the customers to why that they should up to the premium product. Now, do you agree or disagree with that? Where I work at Federated Auto Parts, we push, not push, we suggest highly brand name lines, quality product. That's mm -hmm. what we want our customers mm -hmm. to purchase. 
We do uh, communicate the benefits of those quality lines. We have value lines available because there's a need for them, but our primary uh, responsibility is to help the technician know the value of those brand name quality products. Um, we get the information from our manufacturers. We uh, convey that to our technicians. How do you do that? Through sales literature, through training opportunities provided by manufacturers, um, and face-to-face. Oh, wait a minute. You're telling me that I have to come in and I have to hear Bob tell Bob, I want to learn something about technology. I don't, don't come in and sell me a product. I mean, right. that, that was the old days of training, right? Well, and that's the difference between having a product manager from a company presenting the features and benefits of a specific product or having a trainer explain, you know, what does the product do and how does it fit within that window? I think you need both pieces of information, but that gets blended at some level. Sometimes, you know, there's too much time spent on the features and benefits and the spiffs. And that would be my question to you, John, is if a particular supplier is running a promotion for salespeople at the parts store that if you sell this many of these, you get a trip or a process or, you know, program. A blender. How do you deal with that when Monty's calling you and they're asking for a specific brand of product, but they're being driven to get something because there's a spiff? Primarily, we want our customers to buy the best product that we can. We try not to push something just because there's a spiff. We want the customers getting what they need to do the job right the first time. If the situation allows and there's a spiff, Let's go for it. Let's get them the information on that product. But primarily, what what do you need to do the job right the first time? So to come back on the brakes, what is the benefit to get the better quality? Is there any besides just what I said about the squeak? Oh, there's uh, longevity, safety, getting the right brakes for the the application, um, the ones that are you know to OE specs. That's really important, not just because of the cost or just the squeal. There's a lot more to it than just squeal. What well, what are the brakes made of? What are the backing plates made of? You know, uh, what's the hardware made of? There's different types of hardware. You know, make sure you use the right stuff. I had a wild thought two weeks ago, and I don't remember who it was. We were talking technology, and we were talking about parts, and I started to think that in the day and age of the autonomous vehicle and the reliability that that vehicle needs to stop in the right distance and the right time, even though the algorithms will figure it out. Oh my God, put more, these brakes are terrible. So put more pressure and stop this vehicle. But if the vehicle was born with this high quality content, Kevlar, whatever's in the brake and however it's designed, an OE equivalent product needs to go on. It's almost like value lines may disappear if they don't have the same stopping power and content in it so that 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 the reliability on the computer to stop the vehicle depends on all the parts that are put in the vehicle. That may be where our industry needs to head when it comes to building and buying and selling the premium product that's going to match the safety and reliability of that vehicle. Uh, Especially with autonomous vehicles, safety and reliability are going to be so important in the future. And we're finding that technicians, even there's there's a place or value lines. Technicians want the best quality, the OE quality. They want to put back in what came on the car because those are what those that automotive specs are. Um, they want everything to work right, work together. It's a system. It's not just brakes. It's a braking system. 
our technicians that we service primarily are looking for what came off of the car. Hey, thanks for going uh, to these places that we've gone. Amante, you're an instructor, and I and I loved hearing about that. So you're teaching part-time at a local college? I teach full-time at the local college, and then I have a shop in the oh. I run at nighttime also. Oh, so. okay. I get it now. Okay. So full-time instructor. I'm happy to hear that. I mean, we just don't have enough great instructors that have you know kind of your, your knowledge base in it. You love what you do? I love what I do. Um, I love teaching, just getting the reward when we get the students going out there, making a good living, buying a house, starting a family. What's the graduation rate at your school? We're always within 70%. Um, our placement's 100%, but the graduation's a little lower. But once they get in there, they realize they just want to know a little information for their car, and they'll drop out. Do you have corporate programs? No corporate programs. No no, no cap, no Ford asset, no GMA SAP? No help out. Curious from my behalf, what happened to the 30%? I'm, I'm just going to bring this up from a perspective that that sometimes people bail because they don't have the physical capabilities, you know, the tactile learning strategy. Is there an opportunity to place them as a service advisor or a parts professional? And kind of to John, where where do you get your parts professionals from? You know, do you see that's a competitive? You know, are we are we trying to pull from the same pool of people, technicians and parts people, or is that different? No, definitely. A lot of our time, we put our guys. At the, most of them are starting off in the parts department when they are at our school because that's where they can work at nighttime. So that helps us out greatly. And I, we always push anything they can do in the automotive field. Get your, and then some we know they can't turn wrenches. They're, they don't have the speed or the ability. So we'll push them. Say you need to stay. You know, service advisor parts. You're still in the automotive field. You can do anything. You can be a uh, marketing. You can, there's so many different positions in the automotive field, so we try to keep them in the field. It's cool. We are constantly searching for good counterpersons. Just as technicians, good technicians may be hard to find. Good counter people are hard to find. Um, sometimes we take them from uh, the service uh, side of it. Sometimes we train them in house. And I think that's where you know technicians that eventually wear out from bending over the cars and over those type of things. I'd I don't know that we do a good enough job at pointing them towards that profession. And I think it, at, there are times probably the, the limitation is, you know, what they're making as a technician, they probably can't make as a parts professional by comparison. But that's that could be strategic, you know, and just communicating that to individuals who need to go to the next chapter. Uh, a good counter professional can, can make a very good living. Um, it's it's a competitive market. All of the parts providers are looking for good counter people. It's a good living. Here locally, the pay has went up for everybody. We do a lot with uh, government jobs. This year, we've placed I don't probably at least thirty to forty percent in government. They finally stepped up and realized that the shortage of the money, so they've increased their wages. Yeah, everybody's poaching. What are you independents doing about getting involved with schools like Monty's teaching at? Um, we just had a career day at the college that I'm on, the advisory board, and I did a little mini Facebook rant on it, and I was asking the independents, where were they? Out of all the dealerships that were at career day, there were only two independents. And there were four the last career day. And so we can complain and bitch all about the technician <laughs> shortage, but if we don't want to get involved and diesel's poaching, government's poaching, you know, government, including the, the transportation, the buses, and the benefits are better, the training is better, the shoe allowances are better. <laughs> Talk yep. about something, you know, small, they give me a... And so 
I, I guess the point is, is that here you're, you have an independent shop and maybe someday you'll stop teaching and, and, and open the shop full time and get a big staff. Where are you going to find the techs? Oh, you've got an inside track. I get it. <laughs> He's growing. But, but, but 10 years down the line, you have to stay connected to that school. Definitely. And that'd be showing support, helping out. But that is the problem though. Even, you know, with my shop trying to get techs, I'm looking for techs right now. And it's hard to get them to, you know, when they see something else, I'm not going to, you know, it's like, well, if I don't try to steal them, I just push them. This is, if you like the government, stay with them. But that's the issue we're going to have. So I say we need to get into the middle schools and start trying to push automotive or something. STEM programs or something to bring them down that path. Yes. But I think that's part of the the strategy. And, it, you know, those of you listening to this to this podcast, you know, I can't see your hands, but how many of you? graduated from a high school program, community college program, went to a Votech school of some type. When was the last time you went back and said hello, if it still exists? Because I know that, that my buddy in Tucson, Arizona, that owns a repair shop, he is best friends with the auto shop teacher. Why is he best friends? Because they know each other. They've known each other for a long time. But he also knows by being the best friends with the auto shop teacher, he gets first dibs on the best guys. The more I know and the more I visit those individuals, when I'm home, I try and go back to my alma mater, Flowing Wheels High School, and talk to the kids. Talk about you know the opportunity that you can own an ice house, raise a family, have some toys. You know it's a great business to be in, but you got to get involved. And shame on shame on us for not encouraging individuals to be part of this part of this process. And that's the who gets the best students and the most students are the ones that show up all the time and help out. I also hear there's a lot of churn at the dealerships. They're taking some of the best students and they're not lasting more than a couple of years because the orientation, the integration, the pay rate on startups aren't, it's, it's not as, my God, I'm going to work for this big, you know, Lexus dealership. And in two years, they're disenchanted, flat rate pay, the jobs that they give them for the first year or two, the mentors they assign, all of these are issues. Yes. That's a big issue. They don't want to. They just want to keep them doing oil changes. They've went to two years in school. They feel like they deserve more, which they do. And after two years, instead of staying in the used to, they would jump ship, go to another brand. Now they're just jumping out of the complete automotive field, going some other, some other way. And that's where we're going to have a real big problem because the dealers have to change their mentality. I think the other piece of it is. We no longer fix lawnmowers. We no longer build our own go-karts. We no longer fix our bikes. As kids, they play video games, and they're very smart. They're problem-solver individuals, but they don't have the tactile skills. I think an ill that we're going to see in our industry, and I think we've already seen it, the uh, ATMC, the Automotive Training Managers Council, does their survey every year. And last year, if you looked at the information closely, you would see that the younger age group was looking for mentors. They were looking for people who could show them how to do it. The young group actually looked at videos less than the older generations do. They didn't want to look at video technology. They didn't want to learn online. They wanted somebody to physically teach them how to do the job. And I think part of the issue we have, they're going to go to school. They're not going to have enough time for hands-on activities because we're trying to push too many topics their way. And we rush them out of a program and say, you're ready to go get the job done. But then when they get there, really don't have the physical skills to make them good at what they do. And I think that's a piece that we're going to have to spend more time with is figuring out how to 
how to get that physical skill built up to where they can take things apart quickly and put them back together in an efficient manner. Monty, do you tell your students that uh, they are not ATEX when they leave your two-year program? Yes, because we push ASEs. We have a whole bunch that graduate and they're ASE masters on paper. But I explained to them, you're going to learn more in six months hands-on than you did the two years of knowledge-based, even though we push a lot of hands-on where we're at. Do you also tell them that they're going to break things and they need to accept that? Yes, I push, you know, when you break something, let your boss know. That gives them more time to know, come up with a solution to fix it. Besides, you know, wait until two or three days later, finding it's broke and then say, oh, by the way, I did that. So we push, just own it because you're going to do it because that's the best way as we're mechanics. The best way to learn is from doing something. Do you stay in touch with the shops or the dealerships or whatever entity that your grads go to? Do you ever, maybe, maybe the, the department chair, do they go out and say, how's our students doing? Yes, I go out once a month to the dealer. I'll spend one day going out to the dealer's independence, checking on the students and trying to keep keep involved. Because if you don't go out there and make the connections, then there's a big gap. That's excellent. I, I've not ever heard that before, that an instructor is going out and doing that. Excellent, excellent stuff. And the next big piece of this whole thing is here I am, independent shop. The grad in this first six months ever realized that he discovered the career path that was outlined for him. They're going to give me 40 hours of training. They're going to do all this stuff for me as I continue to be a perpetual student. Do you hear about that? Some. We, we had a student that he went to three different dealerships. He jumped around, didn't like it. And then after that, he went to an independent shop. He's like, this is where I want to be the rest of my life. But the owner's a good owner. He's explaining that if he stays with them, there's you know movement. One day he wants to own the shop. That's a funny story because I have a brother-in-law. So, you know, my dad, 42 years at a Dodge dealership. I grew up, you know, ended up being a technician. My brother works in the automotive industry, but he wants to have nothing to do with wrenches. So my sister, who's 10 years younger, married a mechanic, right? And he graduated from UTI in Phoenix, and he went to work at a GM dealership. So he was pretty successful at the dealership. And then my sister and we're talking together about what's your future? You know, you should think about owning a shop. And I have shop owners that are looking for someone who can take over their business in the future. So he ends up going to an independent shop that works on pretty much all Asian vehicles, Toyota, Honda, Nissan, all those types of vehicles, but they work on everything on that car. And in his case, you know, he realized that there was too much variables. And where did he go? He went back to the GM dealership because he liked to only work on GM vehicles and consistency of brand. He didn't like the you know, the variety of, you know, Toyota is a little different than a Honda. And he wasn't really well trained on lab scopes and alternative scan tools. He knew the GM factory scan tool inside and out. And that's what he got comfortable with. So it's kind of a funny dynamic that we see from time to time that sometimes you do get comfortable at a dealership and you make good money. And, and if you stay there long enough, you are the top dog. You get the best jobs. And if you stick with it, then, you know, usually you do pretty well. But that's it's an interesting, you know, thing as people move around within the industry, uh, but you can find a fit, you know, and, and work towards, you know, getting longevity. That's, you know, usually stay at a shop for a long period of time. You're going to be the top dog, you, but you get the best gigs and the best jobs. John, I want to bring you back into this discussion, and I want to ask you, what is your company, what's Federated doing to be involved in um, being high school or post-secondary education? 
We encourage all of our store managers and all of our technicians to be involved in those programs, to be instructors. Uh, when they have career days, we are out there showing them that there's an option uh, in the parts professional field. Um, we sponsor training for them. Uh, we have scholarships, lots of scholarships available. If you have a child out there looking for scholarships, go to federatedcarcare.com. Um, but there's lots of opportunities that we encourage our folks to take advantage of getting out into the tech, technical training schools, being an instructor, helping when uh, they need parts, when they're training, fix the vehicles, um, uh, giving them discounts on the parts and, you know, encouraging them that way as well. I want to jump in there and ask for a question since I am. <laughs> Is there any incentive that we could use? Because uh, uh, we're training these guys and we're taking in live work, but sometimes they break things. And then it's the instructors having to pay out of pocket to replace it, which I bought ahead this year and some other stuff. But <laughs> So is there any incentives that we could do to work together better so we could, you know, because the students are going to break. You know, I order a wheel bearing. It may take two to do the job because the first one got damaged. Absolutely. We, we do have programs specifically for training institutions like yours. So I got a question I was going to throw at you, John, is we've been talking about dealing with you know, the cream of the crop, right? We know that we're usually preaching to the choir when at this event. And I'm curious about the ability of the parts professional to identify shops that you know probably are not properly trained. So in other words, you know, you know you've had returned parts that are not bad because as a tier one supplier, we know we get a lot of those back and, you know, the manufacturing defects are very, very small in percentage. I'm just curious... How do you use that information? How does your parts professional perceive that there is a training issue and what could be done to bridge that gap? You know, it's an interesting thing that we've thought about, it's but I'm great, just curious if great, you're doing anything with that. Great question. We are. Um, just like you said, you look at what's being returned, um, how often you're getting those returns. Are your technicians asking the right questions when they're ordering those parts? You know, if you're a good counterperson, you know what's supposed to go with what. And if they're not asking for those other items, then these are folks that need some help. We offer training. Lots of training is available. We want those folks trained up because a trained technician is more profitable for a parts store as well as, well as being more profitable for the, the shop. They turn the base faster. They have fewer comebacks. They're, the diagnostics are always more efficient. So... We want our customers as trained as possible. When we see those signs like the high number of comebacks, maybe it's in a certain area. You know, maybe it's in ignition. Maybe in an ignition. When you have. say comebacks, do you mean new new returns? New returns. Okay. Or, or returns. So you have a new return rate per customer. You probably have an alleged defective rate per mm -hmm. customer. Do you ever go out with your sales team, manager of the store, regional manager, and go out and say, I'm going to take you for breakfast in the morning, and you breach this bad news, if you will. We'd like to say that you're in the high quartile of new and defective returns, and I'm not complaining, but I need to develop a very personal training program for you. I mean, really, that's the the answer to this. It's training. Am, am I being so simplistic to say that it's all about training? It's all about training, but it would help. I mean, I know it's a nobody wants to jump in there and go out and tell them, hey, you guys' uh, returns are unreal because they are, everything's working. But it would help the shops and the owners know that, hey, this technician keeps ordering these things. 
if you're a good store manager, you have a good relationship with your customers. And you can be honest. If you've got the facts, you can be honest with them. Here's what we're seeing. Um, you know, let us help you out. Let us have the folks from Bosch come in and give a clinic and, you know, let's do some training because the numbers don't lie. You know, do the math. Your alleged defects are high in this area. So let's, let's take care of it. You know, we, we want to be service providers. We want it to provide everything that you need to be successful. So, so there's an overall alleged defective rate, but it's also by product line. So, if for example, it was a, you know, sensors, ignition issues, coils, all the, all the high tech sensor stuff. It's it's a no brainer to figure out where you, where Bob needs to come in and do some training. Well, many years ago, that was something we proposed with some part supplier. We never actually followed through. Was don't invite the best shops invite the worst shops, right? And use some type of a incentive that said, here's the facts. Here's how much returns you have by comparison to other shops. We're going to invite you to these educational seminars, whether fuel pump diagnostics, engine management, wherever the case may be. As a result of that, here's your financial incentive that will will give you a better percentage or a period of time to correct those deficiencies. We never implemented that but that's who we really need to invite to the seminars is the people who return the most, but they're rarely the ones that come. And that, I, don't, I don't think we were successful at implementing it because we couldn't figure out how to make the shop owner <laughs> maybe, drain his tax, right? Maybe and, because of the thing you just said a minute ago, and that was a financial incentive. We don't know what to do, so let's not do it. The point of it is I think when you put a financial incentive in the way and no one can agree to how it works, the initiative never gets off the ground. And then my next question is, why should a financial incentive be necessary? Unfortunately, that's where the motivation comes in. But like yeah. we talk about at the trainings, the top shops here today at this training today, local, Terry Winters, one of the best shops in town, his guys are here. And that's why their shop has the name and reputation it has. Well, they always talk about, you know, I read stories many years ago about a bank, and they categorize them as A, B, and C customers, right? The A customers, you love them. You never question them. You never have any issues whatsoever. The C customers, you're figuring out how to get rid of them, right? Because you don't want them coming in. So shorten your hours, increase your service fees, do lots of things to make sure that they don't want to have anything to do with you, right? And then you cultivate the Bs to become As, and then some of the Bs become Cs, right? So is there a way, you know, to do a better job of identifying the C's and then seeing them? Because that's what we've been talking about, right? How do we take this big chunk of the service industry and get them into the training classes and get them the training they need? Because if we get that handled, we know it changes the dynamic. We know they become better at what they do, but you can't get them there. <laughs> we, we see that on our side as well. You know, we, we'll host a clinic. We'll have Bosch or Standard or, you know, high-level good training. These folks are coming in. They're spending their time to come to town to train the techs. We charge for the clinic and they don't show up. Okay. Clinic or seminar? That's a good question, but it really really comes down to the content. And this is something we we talked about last night briefly and something I've thought we needed in this industry for a long time is some type of a rating system for the education, whether it's a clinic, a seminar, a course, you know, there's a variety of terms that are out there, but a lot of the shop owners have a concern, you know, am I sending them to the right, you know, event? At some point in time, clinics usually meant that there was a sales pitch involved. Seminars are supposed to be technical presentations 
with maybe a soft sell on a product. But I think we've morphed into, you know, they're all generic. They, you know, we're going to present it. We're going to send everybody to it. And you're going to hope you get something out of it. But it would be neat to have some type of a rating system that that you could immediately look at the the token or coin, the color of it, and say, this is for my A, B, or C technicians, my high-level technician, my basic technician, so that people know what what they need to learn. And I think that's where we definitely need to focus on because what I see is we got ATEX, they go to a training, it's they have to dumb it down for the guys in the that are just starting and they don't get nothing out of it. And then they're like, I'm not going to no more trainings. I'm done. If we had the uh, skill set, no one, you're going to this class, it's all for ATEX. Then that's the ones I'm going to send out of the shop that day. Hey, guys, uh, this went places I didn't expect. In fact, I think it was better than our cocktail talk last night. It definitely went different places. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> better than cocktails without cocktails. We should yeah. try this again with cocktails. I think uh, we maybe should. Maybe tonight. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Oh, that's right. There is going to be something in a beer tent or something And then tonight. we can do the recording. Uh, so, so it's great. You know, we're at the AVI uh, spring training event here in Fort Myers. So glad to have a really cool makeshift studio up here in the, in the, uh, the AVI headquarters. Monty Hampshire, Performance Motor Works and instructor at what college again? Fort Myers Technical College. Fabulous. Thank you so much for being here and your commitment to train our future tech technicians. Thank you. John Markham, Director of Marketing Federated Auto Parts. John, thanks for your input. Uh, it was good. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Bob Pattengale, National Training Manager. Bosch, appreciate it. Always wise insights. Love this industry. Thanks, man. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time... 